Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Hope you're having a good weekend so far. I'm with you until seven this Saturday morning. After six, I'm in conversation. But first, it's the best of Steve Allen. My weekly roundup of some of the best bits from my early breakfast shows, starting with this. McDonald's ad off the menu. This is the advert. Do you know, to be honest with you, I don't know who's complained about this. I really don't. Because I watched it the other day. It came up on my television because I'd not seen it. I'd heard people talking about it. And I remember thinking, it's, I mean, it's been accused of exploiting childhood bereavement. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It's, it's a boy who's obviously getting over. And I, this is what I thought it was so clever getting over the death of a father. It could have been a boy getting over the death of his grandmother or of anybody else at all. And it's beautifully shot. It's got everything going for it. And his mum is coping. She she does the ironing and things like that. And they're obviously a cute little unit. And then they go out for a walk. They obviously live uh, in the north of England. And she's doing what every mum should do if you lose somebody like that. If you lose your partner, your dad, whoever it happens to be, she's talking to him about his dad and she's sort of saying you know your dad loved football I would say I would do exactly the same now just understand people have complained about this not many because they've said it's exploited childhood bereavement and the one thing that I'm very keen for young people to do is to talk about it you don't want to bottle it up believe you me when my mum died and my dad died and many of you will think exactly the same the one thing you do want to do is talk about it. You don't want to not talk about it. So when I go out with friends of mine, we still talk about, oh, my mum would have loved that. She'd have done this and done that. So that's why I thought this advert was brilliant. So here's what the mum is saying in the advert. This is the advert that McDonald's have now pulled. They've said that it was never their intention to exploit. Who complained about it? I've got no idea. Because if we do not talk about childhood bereavement, you might as well just go back to the Stone Age and forget about it. Because I thought this was brilliantly done. Mom? Yes, love? What was Dad like? He was big and cuddly, your Dad. Tall as a house. With big, big hands. Come on, little He was never scruffy. Always smart. And his shoes. So shiny, you could see your face in him. <laughs> Dad played football, didn't he? Yeah, he was good. Captain, I think. He liked techno. Yeah, he was a right catcher, Dad. A wow with all the girls. Did he have blue eyes, like me? No, brown. Thanks, Phil. What was your dad's favourite, too? Tartar sauce. Well down his chin. I thought that was bloody brilliant. I seriously did. I thought that's exactly what... Ooh, that goodness sake complained about that. Absolutely beautiful. Kids talking about, you know, what was my dad like? He was great. He was never scruffy. And she looks at her, her son, who was obviously a bit scruffy. And, uh, and when he eats his fillet of fish, his mum says, that was your dad's favourite too. What are, we t- what are we telling people? Don't talk about, you know, bereavement. Don't talk about parents dying. It's happening every minute of the day. There'll be children waking up this morning and somebody going, oh, you mustn't talk about it. Oh, that'll upset people. Well, sod you. I'm sorry. 
You know, they've had 100 complaints, but you know that'll be about sort of one person and another 99 jumping on a bandwagon. Perhaps they hadn't seen the advert. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Beautifully done, beautifully shot. All right, so it was flogging a fillet of fish at the end of the day. But it's still what, what kids do. They still want to talk about, you know, their mum and their dad. And they should be encouraged to talk about losing their mum and dad. That's how you get over things like that. And, uh, and McDonald's say, we're particularly sorry, the advert may have disappointed those people who are most important to us, our customers. Exactly. There'll be loads of kids going in there, you know, with their mums or their dads because they've lost a partner or something like that. And you encourage them to talk about it. I would always say to people, if you lose somebody, you talk about it. You talk about it all the blooming time. All the time. Because that's, that's, how, you, that's how you get through things. You know, I don't want to think that when my mum died, that was it, that nobody was ever going to talk about her ever again. I was going to make sure that everybody spoke about her. Everybody. That's what's important. What, what you think, that somebody dies, you know, who's very close to you, and then you go, oh, well, that's it now, let's move on, shall we? Let's go and do shopping and buy neck curtains. No, no, no. I spoke about it all the time. I remember coming into work at LBC. I'd had about uh, a week off, and I came in, and uh, one of the other people here, Derek, had lost his father. And uh, people never say anything to you. They never say anything. And so we were sort of chatting and he said, what, what was the funeral like? I said, it was great. And we had a common bond because we'd both lost a parent. We could talk about the funeral. I could, I could talk about the fact that, uh, you know, we didn't have any flowers because she didn't want any flowers. Just a, a spray on top of the coffin and there was a wreath from LBC and that was, that was it. So we didn't, it made it look as though she didn't have many friends. But in fact, she had loads and loads of friends. But I said, I want to talk about her. Of course I do. She was my mother, for God's sake. You know, and because McDonald's have done it sensitively, you know, and beautifully done, you know, beautifully done. And then Sainsbury's, you remember, did adverts showing scenes from World War One. Everybody loved that one. You know, millions of people killed, but that was OK because it was a Sainsbury's advert. Show something realistic, you know, like this one. You know, anything, people complain, don't they? They say, oh, that lovely, World War One. It was shown because they all sort of swapped gifts and all the rest of it. Unfortunately, we sort of forget about the people who were dead, you know, and, uh, and that's an easy thing to do. But I think this, this gets kids talking about it. I think they should ask kids, did you like that advert? And I think 99% of them would say yes. It's only sort of other people who go, oh, I don't like that. And, uh, and they seem to have the majority voice in this country now. It's a very sad state of affairs. Very sad state of affairs. Because I loved it. I'm, I'm sad that McDonald's have pulled it. Very sad that they've pulled it. I'm sorry that they've, uh, they've bowed to pressure from a few so-called well-meaning people. Uh, Nigel says, I love the McDonald's ad too. Reminded me of my son who never knew his granddad, but like him in every way. Because you remember, don't they do something very similar with the... There's all sorts of adverts where they go back to your, your grandfathers and stuff like that. Uh, Aaron says, the thing about the world we live in, everybody's a critic. I thought it was very moving. I thought it was, you know, I couldn't understand why anybody would ever complain about that unless, unless they actually hadn't seen it. And they were just, because people are like that on the internet, you know, before you know where you are, you can sort of build up something and they go, oh, uh, I don't like that either. It exploits bereavement. It didn't exploit anything at all. It was two actors who were playing mother and son, talking, you know, in a really nice way about somebody they both loved. I thought that was great. The fact that he'd eaten a fillet of fish is neither here nor there. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. But uh, somebody says the advert exploits the psychology of human emotion and parental bonding. Have you been to the cinema recently? Have you seen a movie? Have you seen Beaches? 
That exploits, you know, everything like that. Have you, have you seen, I'm trying to think of every other film that makes people cry in it? It's called Exploitative. You need to come out and smell the coffee. People like you, you know, I mean, goodness sake. What do you, of course, the whole idea, its primary purpose is to promote the sale of mass-produced fast food. It's an advert. That's what it's called. It's an advertisement. It's an advertisement. It sells, you know, it's selling different things. God, you must have a very sad life if you really worry. Every time you watch an advert and the television, you go, this is exploitative. I'm sorry, I'm not using Dettol ever again. I refuse to use that. Everything, everything's an advert. Everything's an advert. God, what a shallow world you must live in. And uh, maybe the dad, says Jonathan, had a heart attack from eating fried food and salty chips. Who knows? We nev- we'll never know that because luckily it's only pretend. Nick says, I thought that the McDonald's ad was brilliant. The boy thinks he has nothing in common with his dad. And then the end, he has, he has everything in common with his dad. They both like the same food. They both got the bit of tartar sauce on their chin. He had everything in common with his dad. What I want to find out, actually. I mean, somebody says the McDonald's advert is playing with people's emotions. It's an advert. Of course, it's playing with your emotions. What do you think movies are? Did, did you cry at the end of Mary Poppins? Or did you go, thank God she's gone on a blooming broomstick and umbrella? You know, the whole idea is it plays with your emotions. This programme plays with your emotions. That's what it's supposed to do. It's designed to play on your emotions. Somebody says the point was the young boy was nothing like his dad until the McDonald. Uh, and I thought it was shocking. Why couldn't they do it where the boy was like his dad all the way through? I didn't like the advert, says Lee. Need to get up and smell the coffee, pal. That's what you need to do. So, But I thought that's great because most I couldn't play football. You know, and he, he couldn't, the son couldn't play. It's an advert for a fillet of fish, OK? It's an advert for it. It's not real. The boy hasn't really lost somebody. The mother hasn't really lost somebody. It's an advert, OK? They don't really live in that town. They don't really go to that McDonald's. It's just to pretend. You probably write into Emmerdale, don't you? Saying equal rights for sheep or something like that. Or, you know, how many gays are there in the village? You know, that kind of stuff. It's just an advert. You see, that's the trouble. People sort of, you know, who, who don't know anything about it, comment on it because they obviously don't have enough going on that means you can accept it for what it is. It's a beautifully made film. Beautifully made. I thought it was lovely. There's probably loads. Uh, you could probably go through every advert on the television that plays with your emotion. <laughs> Evelyn says, I think everybody should go out and buy a fillet of fish as a protest. <laughs> I never liked fillet of fish, actually. It's just like a giant fish finger, isn't it? So it didn't, didn't really interest me, actually. Uh, if it was an advert for John Lewis, they'd be praising it, says Kenny. Snobbery. Yeah, do you remember when they did an advert for the, with the penguins? Oh, isn't that cute? And he went, it's an advert for John Lewis. Stupid people. Who are, says Nicola, these moaning minis? I agree with everything you say. It's very moving. It's real life. Of course it is. People suffer from bereavement. Can you imagine if you said to kids, I'm sorry, you mustn't talk about your dad dying, your auntie Winifred dying, or your uncle. You know, I lost... Um, Quite a number of my... In fact, I think by the time I'd sort of got to about 14, 15, I don't think we had any more grandparents. I think on my father's side, uh, my granddad I never knew, uh, but I knew my grandmother on my father's side, the one who lived in Ilford. And then on my mother's side, her mother was alive, and I only met her husband briefly, because he came round to our house. I just remember he had asthma. That's all I remember. And so we didn't talk about them. When you get a bit older, you want to talk about people who you've lost. You know, my mother, all these years later, my father, I still talk about them. I haven't forgotten them in any way, shape or form. I'm not likely to. It's never going to happen. This is LBC with Steve Allen. We throw bananas out. 80 million quids worth. 80 million pounds worth of bananas. Can't we do something with them? 
Can we not do... I mean, when we say we throw them out, can't they give them to zoos? I shouldn't imagine Monkey World are particularly bothered whether the bananas are going off because the uh, the monkeys and the apes that they, they keep down there would love that sort of thing. And I'm assuming they must get them, but it probably costs a fortune in zoos. Can't we just donate stuff to zoos and go, listen, I'd quite like it to go to London Zoo or Whipsnade Zoo or any of the zoos around the uh, uh, the country. Who, who throws out bananas? Mark Wright throws out bananas. Honestly, poor old Mark. You must be so insecure, Mark, that, you know, you're... Nothing in the downstairs department. Not much in the upstairs department either. But to have to sort of... You know, nobody looks like that in pants, dear. Remember, so sorry. They really don't. And uh, so it's a little bit embarrassing. And also, if he's so keen on wearing these, why why was he wearing shorts when he went to Vegas? Have you seen this? You you look at a picture of him. Uh, somebody's... Everybody said exactly the same thing. It's fake. Fake, 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 fake. Look at, look at the state. Look. Nobody but nobody looks like that in a pair of pants. You just don't. It just it just looks absolutely ridiculous. But there again, Mark, if you're insecure and you're not Mr. Well-endowed, you know, you have to do something like that. You've got loads of coverage, but, um, you know, and unfortunately, every single bloke who's ever looked at it and every single girl have gone, you're fake, which means they now think you're covering up the fact you're little Mr. Tiddly. Little Mr. Tiddly down there. Little Tiddly Widdly. <laughs> that's, that's the worst thing you could say to somebody, isn't it? There used to be somebody who went out with Joan Collins years ago. His name was Bill Wiggins, but they called him Bungalow Bill because it was all downstairs and nothing upstairs. <laughs> it's amazing how many daft people on Twitter go, oh, yeah, oh, luckily old Michelle. No, I'm afraid not, dear. I'm afraid not. It's all fake. But there again, people don't know this kind of thing, do they? I feel like I'm doing the Lucy Beresford show. You know, why do men? Because so, remember, Peter Andre had to do it as well, because Peter Andre is not blessed in the tiddly-tiddly downstairs department. We know that because he had to ask Katie Price in the jungle. And she didn't know either because she'd been out with Dane Bowers and he was Mr. Tiddly Widdly in the downstairs department as well. They're all tiddly widdly people. I speak to you now as a man who's... Uh... <laughs> oh, don't go there. But, uh, yeah, so I was... Oh, yeah. Steve Allen on LBC. The setup that is Britain's Got Talent. A friend of mine, he said to me, he said, did you, did you watch Britain's Got Talent the other day? I said, no, he said, it's so contrived. I said, oh, yeah, I've always known that. That's how they make the programme. I said, the whole idea is that if, if they have a bit of sad music, you know, they say, so what's the dream? You know that either Granny's been killed in a cement mixer accident or, you know, the dog got run over the day before by sort of a hot air balloon or something like that. In this particular case, they, uh, uh, it's, it's left to Alicia Dixon to do the, uh, the edited um, highlight, which is asking the question so that they've got the answer. Otherwise, you ask somebody a question and they, I don't know what you're talking about. This is a Lisa Dixon incident. You couldn't recognise her own winners of a dance programme that she had. She didn't recognise them when they came on. Again, odd that, isn't it, really? But as I say, she's obviously got, you know, do not mention, you know, because we're going to push them through. And so they bring a choir on, and Alicia goes, so what, what's the inspiration? Have you ever heard of such a stupid question? What's the inspiration for a choir? Well, we like to sing. No, no, no. This was contrived, because when she said, so what's the inspiration? And the girl went, it's our choir master. He, Mr. Whatever it is, Higginbottom or something. He was, he was inspiration and in us all getting together. And he's been such an, uh, an, an inspiration to us. And he was, he was hurt in a car. I was hoping she was going to say killed in a car crash because it, it would have been like the Peter Kay programme and it would have been the gift. But no, he was injured. And, you know, he was in the audience. And the camera cut to him in the audience. So, again, it's all contrived. It has to be. Like, you know, when they cut to somebody in the audience, they're going, oh, that's all, that's pre, pre-cut in. I understand. I know how they make programmes. And so they, they sort of cut to him, and he's their inspiration. And then this girl, together with the choir, although to be honest with her, I bet they all hated her, because she was sort of, she was singing separately from them. She sang Ness and Dormer. 
I mean, God, is that the best you could come up with, love? It's a man's song. It's not for you. OK? But she sang it. And, uh, and the, the audience stood up as one. I think mainly because they electrify the seats and they push a little button. And, um, and every... And, it, yeah, ooh, and you could see Simon's eyes going, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Album contains the hit single, Ness and Dorma. You just know it. You know for Christmas, he's thinking, well, there are not too many of them. We could manage that. We could do a Christmas album. And I bet you anything there'll be a Christmas album coming out. Because, listen, it's, it's May. They've got enough time to get him in the studio, record Ness and Dormer, do a few Hark the Herald Angels Sing Glory to the Newborn Wild Shepherds. And that'll be it. That'll be the Christmas album. And si- it won't have cost Simon a penny piece to do it. Because they're all signed to Psycho. You can't just go off and make your own album after you've been on something like that. And so I did laugh. <laughs> When it was all so contrived. But it's this cutting away to the audience members, some of whom I've seen before. You know, and now you can hear them. They've obviously mic'd them up as well. God, that's amazing. We heard the other way. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Cleverly done. My, my sob story would be... I don't know what my sob story would be. It was, I, I, I can't think of anything. Mainly because most of my family have passed on anyway, so I can hardly sort of say... I could, it could just be emotional music. I could go... And, and they go, so what's actually the dream? And I go... It's always been my dream to be here because I've been on a journey and, you know, being on that journey is very important to me to share my gift with everybody here to say thank you for, to the NHS for looking after my mum when she wasn't very well and, and our cat at the vets after it had been run over by a fire engine. We, um, we, we were very lucky to get him back and uh, we had him made into a rug and I'd like to thank Mr Whips uh, for making him into the rug and, uh, and we've, we've sort of used him every day since and I just want to say thank you to ev- I just want to say thank you to everybody for just being with me on this on this incredible journey thank you oh and God 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 definitely because I'm, I'm a big big fan of God and the Holy Ghost and just about anybody else I can weave in oh and the man who runs the off licence he's been very good to me he sort of supplied me with the vodka when I didn't have any any money and the people who, who, who make Prosecco they've sort of named a vineyard after me as well and I'd just like to say that if, if I do manage to get through next week, I'm going to be singing for my grandmother. Uh, grandmother transed at the age of 83, and um, we're all very proud of her in the family. Very, very proud. Well, she's now Bert, but we, uh, we're very proud of her anyway. And that's what I do. That's what I do. She can get through. I'm through to the next round. I'm so excited. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Yeah. Where's the golden buzzer? Push the golden buzzer on me. And that's why the programme's brilliant. It's because it, it sort of takes you on a roller coaster, and the roller coaster builds you up and builds you up, and then and then sometimes they get on stage and you think, oh God, you're rubbish, you're rubbish. Like they had somebody on the other day, and he was an old man and he couldn't sing, but even after they'd all buzzed him, he still kept on singing. So then it became funny, well, sort of funny. It was contrived funny because when you looked at the audience, nobody was laughing, and when they did the choir and all the other things, they kept cutting back to the audience and nobody was doing anything. And I thought. Oh, wait a minute. So now we're getting the sound effects superimposed. Very clever. I love stuff like that. I love being manipulated. Steve Allen on LBC. The sports day, which was axed due to rabbit holes. Oh, I mean, how many rabbit holes can you have on a pitch? I mean, when do rabbits build these things? I mean, I've never seen them out there at night, you know, like they're tarmacking over a field or something like that and putting up a toilet block. I've never seen that. Rabbits just sort of get out there. And the next thing, you've got rabbit holes all over the place. And, um... Teachers say pupils have tripped up and hurt themselves in the growing numbers of rabbit holes. God, it's beginning to sound like an epidemic now. Attempts to cull the colony using ferrets, gas and guns have failed. Well, just blow up the field. Soon get rid of them, would you? Bunnies. Bunnies. 
everywhere. Bunnies raining down on you. But uh, Greg, Craig Watson, head of the school in Dorset, wrote to parents, this year there are significantly more than ever and they're digging countless holes. But when? When are they digging them? Are they sort of sitting there going, OK, we just heard the school bell. OK, Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, come on, you're in the first gang. Come on, out here. OK, now dig for your lives. <coughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Ridiculous. The school hopes to have the field back in action for the new school year in September. There have been instances of children hurting themselves. I mean, I know, children falling down rabbit holes. Occupational hazard, isn't it? Sorry. Where's Mary gone? Oh, Mary, pull yourself out of the rabbit hole. Come on. Bin. Come on. Everybody, get her out of the hole. What do you mean she's being held in by the bunnies? Get them out. Those rabbits are pesky rabbits. Dreadful. Yes, down to Wonderland. But they must have been there for ages. I think rabbits use old holes, don't they? And then they, uh, like the idea of tarmacking the uh, the field over. Rabbits out there with little trucks driving on, you know, pushing little things. <laughs> could be so funny, couldn't it? I just love the idea. <laughs> oh, dear. That'll make it to the best of, I should imagine, this week. Steve Allen on LBC. If I see another picture of this drugs babe joining the Thigh High Club, I'm really going to get very angry, actually. And she's been put in the Daily Star today. This is uh, the drugs mule, uh, Michaela McCollum. They say, looking sensational. She's a drugs mule. What are you talking about, looking sensational? She's a drugs mule. She was snuggling up to Jamie O'Hara on Friday. He'll just hang about with anybody. Perhaps he didn't even know who she was. Perhaps it was just another bimbo in a tight dress. But uh, she was in Birmingham. She only spent three years in uh, in a Peruvian jail where she was running the beauty salon, so it was a nice, easy ride for her. And uh, thank God that uh, drugs never got through, Michaela, eh? What do you reckon, love? That uh, out on the town, you know, there was a rumour she was going to be going into Celebrity Big Brother. That would be the biggest kick in the teeth, and I hope everybody avoids the programme. How ridiculous. Why don't you just, you know, perhaps we should have popped Ian Brady into Celebrity Big Brother, because he's a celebrity, isn't he? Because he gets featured in the papers. In the same way that she shouldn't be featuring anything at all. She should disappear where she came from. But somebody said in the paper the other day, and it's quite true, they said because she's now infamous, she'll never get a job. Well, you have to invent something, don't you? You have to invent a job. Leading Britain's conversation. LBC with Steve Allen. Bake Off saved me from anorexia. There's a headline I never thought I'd see. And this is a former anorexic. His weight fell to six stone 11 pounds. He's, uh, he's called Daniel Ruff. He spent more than four years battling an eating disorder. Actually, talking of Ruff, I get on the train the other day. Get on the train the other day and, and this bloke gets on and I thought he was a down and out. OK, so he's dirty. And I'm, so, I'm reading my, uh, my Metro and, and I look up and he's got a jumper draped over the open window. It's drying. OK, his jumper is drying. It's soaking wet and he's drying it on the open window. I mean, I've never seen like it. Anyway, so I looked at this uh, person. I thought, oh, God. And then he gets out a Tupperware box and in it is rice and chicken. And he starts eating it with his hands. It stank. It stank to high heaven. He stank to high heaven. But he's eating this. with, And then he starts making his phone call. Oh, hello, it's John so-and-so here. So there's only six of us in the carriage. And uh, we're all having to suffer with this phone call. He was talking to, obviously, his investment banker or something like that. So that, yeah. And are you, are you aware of me? Oh, good. Because I've got £3,000 to invest. And it's, it's not making as much money as it should do. Can you tell me what... And he's doing this on the train. 
on the train. I mean, honestly, ghastly. When I got off, he was he'd eaten the food and he was sort of just finding somebody to talk to on his on his phone. He was obviously one of these sort of strange people, but it was the. I don't know. I, I couldn't work that bit out. Was he? Re- oh, that's an interesting question. Was he really on the phone or just making? Oh, you mean like doing pretend phone call to make it look as though he was interesting, and had that much money? Yeah, I don't. Oh, that's so interesting. I never thought about that. That was the bit that never. I, never, I just thought he's, he's got his jumper spread out, the whole width of the jumper, not folded or anything like that, spread out over the length of the window, a double window, with his sh- with his uh, his jumper drying on it. I wanted a whole crowd of people to get on a Clapham Junction and go, "Excuse me, mate, you move your jumper," because that's what I'd have done. I don't know. These people are odd. These people are odd. The amount of people who eat on trains. It is actually quite amazing. It, it is disgusting, isn't it? Disgusting people eating on trains. Ah! And people doing makeup on trains. And people, I'll tell you, the worst ones, the coffee drinkers. We've just managed to gra- grab ourselves a coffee from Cafe Nero. And so we're here and you're lurching backwards. You think, any minute now, somebody's going to get drenched in hot coffee. And there's going to be a fisticuffs. You've done coffee on a train, have you? I've done bottle of water, because I think that's acceptable if you're a diabetic, you know, and you get thirsty. So, But a cup of coffee, no. No, there's no excuse for a cup of coffee. Also, there is no excuse for using your telephone on the train. Absolutely no excuse whatsoever. Anything you do on the train on a telephone, you can do quite easily when you get off. You don't have to sit there conducting your business with other people listening. Dirty people, dirty people. I agree about people eating on trains, says Mark. The worst is getting a seat and some ignorant person sits next to you with a bag of Burger King grease. I've had to move. The stench permeates your clothes. Ban fast food on trains. I don't think it's just Burger King, because all they do in the mornings is just bacon rolls, isn't it, and stuff like that. But it is the, it is the people who sort of... Um, who sort of literally take out a meal or something, and they start eating it. Or feeling that they've made the sandwiches themselves at home. And they open up the Tupperware box, and then un- that's desperately tragic. And they've got a little packet of foil which they carefully unwrap, and there they are, four peanut butter sandwiches with cucumber. <laughs> it's terrible, really. <laughs> Do I ever take hash browns on the train? Oh, absolutely not. Yes. <laughs> I did do it one day, actually. I did have my hash browns on the train. And my friend Graham got on. He said, oh, he said, somebody's been eating on here. I said, I know. I said, you could smell it when I got on the train. It was terrible. Didn't have the heart to tell him it was me. Uh, the Bake Off story is in all the papers. The boy who was inspired by it. Um, he got an eating disorder after he became hooked on dieting and exercise. And he went uh, very, very thin. He took a break from his studies. He says, I think I would have died if I'd carried on. So he hasn't. So he said, uh, I was making, you know, at my lowest, lots of different cakes and having a slice of each of each one every day. And now he's back to uh, back to normal. He said a bake off one last year by Candice Brown. I'm looking forward to the new season, but it won't be the same without Mel and Sue. No, it'll be so much better. So much better. We don't need Mel and Sue there. They've got loads of other things. You've got Noel Fielding on the other side. He'll be dreary. You get roughly the same effect, don't you? You don't need Mel and Sue. People always say that, don't they? Oh, I, sh- I-, I would never listen to the radio if so-and-so leaves, or I'll never watch this ever again if so-and-so... People do. They get over it. You know, it's just it's sort of life, isn't it? You know, because Steve Allen's just won £90 million on the lottery, I'm never going to listen to him ever again because he's now moved into the upper echelons of society. You know, but you wouldn't know how much money I had at the moment anyway. It's not 90 million, I tell you that for a fact. <laughs> Otherwise you'd be listening to somebody else on this programme. 90 million pounds, honestly. Would you have to buy people at work presents? Would you? Do you think just a gift voucher or something, you know, for, for, a, for an off-licence? It's dreadful, isn't it? Of course he was encouraging everybody to drink, you know. You could give everybody sort of, I don't know, 
Or would you give everybody, you know, £500 voucher for Selfridges or something? Joanne Webb, Webb would go for the £500. OK. And you'd also go for the five. Yeah. Because I don't know, you see, if, if I did win the money, and I, d- I don't want this to be in any way, shape or form some sort of contract. We're not entering into a contract here. This is all... Yes, I'm sure it's all on record, but this is not a contract. I won't be doing this sort of... But I wondered if you did, would you be expected to buy something? Or would they all sit at the meeting and go, well, Steve just really won... Ninety million pounds, and everybody go. Oh, that's really great! And he's buying nothing, not a penny piece. And you think to yourself, I would have to put a small cake out there. The one, the, the room would turn against me, wouldn't it? I could feel myself being picked up bodily and sort of chucked out of the corridor into the uh, into the glass atrium. I could see that happening soon. But because uh, so, I'd, I'd have to buy people things. But then, do you buy everybody the same? Because I. No, you don't, do you? A, does it, do you get less as you go down the scale? So the time we get to Aussie Boy, it's like 20 quid. Half a kebab or something like that. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I, or failing that, do you just sort of not tell anybody and leave the country very quickly? <laughs> just to avoid having to pay it. No, I think you'd have to buy people something. Yeah, I, I would, yes, I could sort of, I could be, my, my clothes could be found on the beach at Brighton. But he was nowhere to be seen. Steve, it will be... Thirteen years to the day that Steve Allen vanished on a lilo off the beach in Brighton. Still, every year on his anniversary, they run his In Conversation programme, (laughs) where Steve talks about himself. (laughs) Now I know why we're number one. Steve Allen on LBC. David Beckham. Oh, the film's died on its proverbial, I'm afraid. There's going to be no series on this one. It it can't recoup anything at all. I think basically because it it was just dire. It was just dying. Not helped by putting David Beckham in, who can't act for... T- he couldn't act his way out of a paper bag. But I don't think the film died on that. It's, it's most of Guy Ritchie's stuff dies, doesn't it? In fact, the only decent stuff Guy Ritchie did years ago for a little middle-class boy uh, with upper ap- attitudes for the, for the top classes, because he was born... He's, he's very much silver spoon in his mouth. Don't believe all this white, white kind of stuff. That's what the middle... That's what the upper classes do. They look down, they go, oh, apples and pears, is it? They go, yeah, gov. And they go, oh, it's so cute. Let's make a film about them. It's called Essex Boys or something. And it'll be a murder. It'll be so exciting. It'll be murder. And then the moment Guy... In fact, I think most of Guy Ritchie's stuff used to go straight to video, didn't it? In fact, in some cases, they didn't even bother with video. His, uh, his, his track record is not particularly brilliant. But he's Guy Ritchie. And they go, well, he was married to Madonna. And, uh, and he hasn't... They haven't done anything in ages. Lock, stock and snap. And that was it, wasn't it? The rest of it has died on its proverbial. So he puts David Beckham in, because nobody tells David Beckham anything. They go, yeah, and David says, I've been invited to a film. You go, all oh, right, well, you actually do, do the film then, Dave. Have you thought about it? Oh, a guy's doing it. All oh, right, it's going to make me ugly. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't take too long, should it? Perhaps we could put the, the wife in. She could, be, she could be serving wench in Forest or something, couldn't she? That would just about be it. Perhaps we could bring all the kids in. I'm sure Harper could manage to do something. Small child in camp or something like that. When I say in camp, I mean, you know, in a woodland glade, not actually camp, because, you know, she's not camp yet. rest of the family's fairly camp, but, you know. But uh, they are like the Von Trapps. The difference is they can't sing for a note. This is LBC with Steve Allen. They found an RAF veteran as well in the eye today who does a wing walk. You know, which I think is actually quite... It's a little bit misleading. When they say a wing walk, they don't actually get on the wing and walk. They stand there strapped into it. It just means you've got to cope with your hair blowing. I mean, you couldn't put Wayne Rooney on a wing walk. I mean, his hair would be off the head straight away. I mean, that'd just be Elton John. He wouldn't do a wing walk. Frank Sinatra wouldn't have done a wing walk. 
but Reynolds wouldn't have done a wing walk. It's for people who, you know, go up there and it takes off and it's lovely. I mean, to be quite honest, I should imagine it must be great fun. Must be great. I quite like to do it, provided I had a parachute strapped to my back. So just in case the plane showed uh, some intention of sort of coming down a little bit faster than usual, I could sort of hop off and uh, just float quite gracefully, I think, down to earth and then land. Ta-da! Like that. You know, as opposed to all over the place, your arms broken and your legs broken. But uh, wing walking, they do it. There's a crunchy plane, isn't there? I was going to say there are other chocolate bars available. There are, but they don't fly planes. I think it's only Crunchy or Whisper or something like that. And they go up there. And they have always a girl who stands there. Da-da! You know, and, and then da And like that. And then occasionally they'll put an elderly person. Do you know this big fat woman in the paper who's coming up for a TV programme? She hasn't worked since she was in her 20s. And she's now... She's, she's very healthy. She looks fine to me. So she's down to 30 stone. But uh, she can't work because she's disabled. She's now class, so she's not going to work for the rest of her life. What does she want to do? Go on a roller coaster. Or get yourself up to Blackpool, love, and go on a roller coaster. Standing there whinging like an old girl's blouse. Nobody's remotely... What are you expecting? A free roller coaster ride? I don't think so. Go and pay for it. You're on enough benefits. Sorry? She could, no, she'd never do wing walk. Never get the plane off the ground. I mean, for goodness sake. You've got, the thing's got to take off. No good just coasting round the field. Unless it's the field with bunny rabbits in who are tarmacking. We found tarmacked bunny rabbits this morning on the programme, building toilet blocks and putting in hard standing and all sorts of things. You know what these bunnies are like? They're, they're pesky, those wabbits. Steve Allen on LBC. Why fireworks are a thing of the past. Yes, at the wedding on Saturday, which if Harry and uh, old Meghan turn up to, they're going to upstage the poor bride. Nobody will be looking at you, Pippa. Nobody will be looking at you at all. Harry will be looking at, you know, you know, from the wedding. And, uh, but nobody will be looking there. They'll all be taking pictures of her. There'll be so many people there with hidden cameras on them taking pictures because the papers will pay big money. Mind you, if of course the Middletons will never find. I won't find out, seriously. Nobody will know. You can buy these little things. If you go to the spy shop, you can buy a pen with a camera in it and a video. You can just have it in your top pocket and just sort of push the top of the button and just move around. So if you see people moving around in the service, they're filming. They're filming. Uh, they, and they will be checking people. I'm sorry, did you have a phone with you? Oh, I'll hand in the phone. Got a pen, got a pen in the pocket. Got it built into the button. You can get cameras so tiny. Look at James Bond. James Bond had hidden camera and they would build it into his watch. I've actually got a watch at home. You won't believe it. It's, don't ask me why I bought this rubbish. I bought it many, many years ago. And it's got a little camera on the side of it. Seriously. It's, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a spy. I'm a spy. And I've got the pen as well. And I've got a little tiny recorder, which looks like a little bar of chewing gum. But it's not. It's a little... It's a camera in it. I used to go berserk for those sort of things. I had a night sight. You know, one of those things that makes you see in, uh, in pitch black. And I, I begin to wonder, actually, whether or not... Spencer Matthews will try and take a selfie with Megan. He'll be going, hello, darling. And she'll be going, oh, how are you? Oh, no, she doesn't talk like that at all, does she? Actually, I can't remember how she speaks. But anyway, she'll sort of talk with a Canadian kind of accent. And uh, it'll be going, Harry, done all right there, mate. Done all right there on that one. Mind you, she has been married, so she's been round the block a bit. You know, it'll be, it'll be interesting. But somebody will take pictures. They'll, they'll be released and nobody will know. They'll have to try and itemise it down. They were taken from this angle. That's because they were standing next to Mrs Clutterbuck. Mrs Clutterbuck was standing next to Primrose Panica over here. And Primrose Panica and her family. And wait a minute, we know who it is. It's Spencer Matthews. They've offered him money to take pictures because he's going to be the best man, which gives you a rough idea of the state of the wedding if he's the best man. And it's, and it's in a garden centre. I mean, so that they're in there in this sort of garden centre tent affair. There is another tent, looks a bit like um, a circus, 
and that's for the toilets. So you can have, you know... So you have to trek across the field in the pouring rain, lifting your skirt up. But remember, you are taking two outfits to the wedding. They've laid the law down. Two outfits, and, uh, and then you can go to toilet and then trek back over, presumably mushrooms on toast or something. I'd love to see what they're having. Why can't they just have something normal? Normal food. You know, like Tom Daly and Lance had at their wedding. It was sausage and mashed potato. I mean, who wants... You don't want any more than that, do you? That and a little bit of gatox at the end, which you could have with a bit of, bit of creme fraiche or something. Perhaps some strawberries. Actually, a friend of mine, was to, I saw a programme the other day on a company who have the franchise to sell strawberries at Wimbledon. They supply Wimbledon. But they've had it for, like, 20 years. A friend of mine tried to muscle in there and get it. No chance. Makes you wonder who knows who, doesn't it, when you've got something like Wimbledon. This this woman's company, and she's got polytunnels, they are the only company that supplies strawberries. That's a handy little income to have, isn't it? I wonder how much they spend on strawberries. I've got some strawberries today. British. I can't remember what they're called. Strawberries, I've just told you. Steve Allen on LBC. What's your secret weapon for health? Ice cream. Ice cream. Vanilla ice cream. Or failing that, there's one here, uh, which is ginger ice cream. I, I, had a, I had a scoop of ice cream the other day. Only, only one scoop went with my plums. And it was, it was particularly delicious. If you only have a little of something, I've discovered it makes you crave it. You know, if I'd had two scoops of ice cream, you know, they always say, well, what would you like, Steve? And I go, I'll just have a scoop of vanilla. They go, we've got strawberry and chocolate. I go, have you got banana? And they never have banana, and yet we're throwing away 90 tonnes of the stuff. 90 million pounds worth of bananas every year. Why don't we just make lots and lots of ice cream? And then we could all have banana ice cream. I love banana. I love a banana lolly. Seriously, banana lollies are great. But, you know, having ice cream, apparently, is good for you. It's very good for sore throats. You know, if you're in my business, la, 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 la. Uh, you get a sore throat. A bit of ice cream is, is very good for you. So, uh, and I, I, I do go out occasionally, and I mean it's so occasionally, it's literally like I can go a year without buying ice cream. But if I do buy it, what I tend to do is I tend to buy a sort of a tub of vanilla, chocolate and strawberry. <laughs> It's called Neapolitan, all in the same thing. And I buy cones from Iceland and I make my own ice cream. And I pretend I'm like an ice cream shop. And so I go, I'll have a cone with a flake. And I go to the fridge and I've got an ice cream scoop. And I, and I then charged myself £4.50. And I was complaining the other day. I said, how can you charge £4.50? And I said, because well, I can, because it's my kitchen. It's my ice cream. And I said, well, I'm paying it, but I'm begrudgingly paying it. I'm not paying this because I want to pay for it. £4.50 for nice. I shan't be going there again, I tell you. That Twickenham place is phenomenally expensive. But years ago, I used to have it with two wafers either side if it was a block. And that was great, because once you got your tongue in, woo I tell you, happy days, ladies and gentlemen. But only occasionally. And then I leave it till the next day, by which time the whole thing is melted. Melted ice cream don't look so exciting. It's like sort of the day after kebabs. They never look so exciting, do they? Steve Allen on LBC. The British boy next door who bagged Pop's biggest star. Another one for Taylor Swift. My God, she hasn't got notches on her bedpost now. It must be like a blooming totem pole, for goodness sake. I mean, every time you read about Taylor Swift, she's either got a voracious appetite or she just likes sort of picking on people and they're, and they're too weak to say, I don't want to go out with you. She likes British boys, doesn't she? She's got a thing about British boys. I mean, I wouldn't mind, but she's sort of quite pretty. She doesn't look like anybody from Towie at all. You know, and they or anybody from Sex on the Beach or X on the Beach or Geordie Shore or Made in Chelsea or just about any other programme, Saturday Kitchen. You know, it doesn't matter where they come from. You know, she actually looks quite classy and she's rich. 
She's kind of got the full package. It's just that if she sets her sights on you... And this poor little boy lives with his mumsy and dadsy. He lives with mummy and daddy and a girlfriend. Like Taylor Swift, she could buy their road. You know, she's got a plane. He's got, like, a corgi car. And she's got a plane. And Taylor Swift is, like, gorgeous. And she's going to come down and, and sort of go, I'm going out with you. And he's going, Mummy! It's going to be a nightmare for him. We don't know if he's been out with girls before. We're not sure. We just know he's a British actor and he's sort of like pretty boy. For that read, they put extra makeup on him to make him look like he's got no spots. And then and, and Taylor Swift set her sights on him. God, there'd be people around this building. He would kill to go out with Taylor Swift. Kill. Producer would kill. Well, he'd probably have to die first. But, I mean, it's, it's a case of, you know, she wants to go out with this pretty... And if you're Taylor Swift, you just go, you, here, now. And that's it. He must be frightened out of his life. Mind you, it's taken an unknown actor, and all of a sudden we now know who he is. Not that I can remember his name at the moment, but, I mean, he's really well known. Well, he will be. By the time he's been photographed, you know, and they'll be photographed going on her plane, he'll be emerging from her flat looking exhausted in the morning, saying, uh, see you, see you soon. And she'll be going, tonight, he'll be going, oh, God, not tonight as well. I mean, normally, you know, people say, you know, how often? You sort of go, well, once a month is enough, you know. <laughs> it now takes me all night to do what I used to do all night. Not so good. Steve Allen on LBC. It's always tragic, isn't it, when you have to find a comedian whose only gig they can get is working on a baking programme. You know, an unfunny comedian at that. So that's why Noel Fielding and Sandy Toxwick were about to be flown in in a hot air balloon as part of the new Channel 4 show, but then it was abandoned due to bad weather because you cannot fly balloons. They're the most temperamental of things. So if it's really windy, you can't have a balloon. You know, if the, uh, if, if the weather is, is really bad, you know, rain and things like that, you really can't have a balloon there. But uh, they were going to put them in a, in a balloon together. Best place for him, I should imagine, actually. So unfunny. I don't... I have been on a balloon, yes. I have. Yes, I quite liked it. Yes, I quite liked it. I'm not good with heights, though. And unfortunately for me, I always think disaster. I always think to myself, we're going to go up here, and I know you've got the gas chair, you go, and it sort of sends, and I always think then, I don't know why, say somebody sort of fires a dart into the balloon or something like that, and all of a sudden goes, and goes all over the place. I mean, that's the kind of thing that would frighten the life out of me. So, I mean, heights, I can't, and when I say heights, I can't even stand on a chair. I mean, I could never be a tightrope walker. Nobody's ever asked, but, you know, if they were going to do something like that. I could have been like Blondini, you know, doing a tightrope walk over a cage full of lions or something like that. But, I mean, I, I can't do it. I just get, I get all wobbly. I get wobbly most days, but just anything to do with, with heights. And that does literally involve even a small stepladder. I had to change a light bulb the other day. So I had to stand on this stepladder. I was so frightened. And I thought, be brave. Be brave. Be a man. Change the light bulb. And all I was thinking was, I'm just going to look such a fool when I fall off it. I just get dizzy. I just I just can't. I, I don't have sense of... I'm not very good with sense of balance, to be honest with you. Sometimes I have to hang on to doors as I'm going round them. Even in this building. And also, when I go up the station, I always cling on to the, um, the, the handrail thing. Because I'm always... Because I've tripped over before. Tripped over my own feet before now. Ridiculous, isn't it? Steve Allen on LBC. Dan's back with a bang. Yeah, it's Lee Ryan attempting to act. So I say attempting to act because he's he's a bit wooden, to say the least. But he's with uh, he's with the odd man there. All right, get out of my pub. And that's, uh, that's nice. So you've actually got uh, Woody. That's the character that he plays, actually. But uh, Danny Dyer has proved his character. Mick Carter is back. Get out of my pub, you scum. <laughs> 
I could do it. I could do one of these films, I tell you. Anybody listening in EastEnders, you know, I could... Uh, hello, good afternoon. Get out, my... Ba- Barbara must be able to get me. I have a word, actually. Or Scott or somebody like that. I could do it, you know. I could, I could sort of been there. I could be sort of the real Jekyll and Hyde cat. Hello, gin and tonic. Get out my pub. I'd love it, I tell you. I could be I could be a nice character, but then secretly I could be a psychopath. I could be a psychopath. I could go round and cause havoc in the laundrette. Ian Beale, come here. Come here, mate. Sausage in batter. All right? Two. I think the part is tailor-made for me. I'm part is tailor-made for me. I'd be like one of those early 1940s actors where everybody was terribly, terribly. They all sort of spoke like that, and it was all wonderful. And I hated Morris. He was a dreadful man, dreadful man. Slept with the gardener. Awful. Those are all the highlights I've got time for this morning. Don't forget, I'm back live from 5 o'clock tomorrow morning, and we'll be with you for the 4am spike all next week too. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.